Let's do this. Welcome, everybody. Good morning. Have a seat. Thanks for being with us today. My name is Colin. I'm one of the leaders here at Anthem. I do want to apologize if you're here for the first time, you walked in and everybody's talking to one another and acting like they're old friends. Sorry about that. Some of them are. Um, And we hope that you will be at some point as well. Uh, We have a car that you were probably given to with your program when you you came in this morning. We call it the Connect Card. And if you'd like to stay in touch with us, we'd love for you to fill that out um, and put it in the generosity box at the back of the the room there. And that allows us to just add you to our mailing list once a month and um, stay in touch. And if you want to grab a coffee with me, I'd love to buy you coffee or something like that. So um, uh, welcome to Anthem. It's the fourth week in our... God Behaving Badly series, and we have been uh, looking at some parts of the Old Testament that for many people seem like, wow, I think God's acting a little bit weird during that passage, and so it's for me going to be one of those like turn the page quickly passages. Have you ever been in one of those before where you're reading some of the Bible and you're like, yeah, nope, let's go to the next thing. See if if I can get some encouragement from from the next page rather than this one, because this one doesn't make any sense. Like, I mean, there's one verse where Elisha, the prophet, and we talked about him kind of last year quite a bit, and we kind of like missed this part, but uh, Elisha, the prophet, is, is getting jeered by a couple of, you know, what seems to be boys, and they're, you know, giving Elisha a hard time, and and just shouting and jeering at Elijah, calling him baldy because the guy's like short of hair. And all of a sudden, I feel like I'm, I'm staring at the people in the room who are bald. I didn't mean to do that. But he's, uh, they're, 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 they're calling Elijah baldy and shouting at him and just giving this grown man some serious grief. It's like that moment in Tommy Boy where like Tommy Boy's out there in the lake with his girlfriend and those kids. No, unless you're over 45, you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but, uh, you know, there's this, thank you, Arthur. He's with me. But there's this moment where they're shouting at him. And so... This prophet just calls a bear to come out from the woods and maul these two children. And, you know, you just sort of feel like, that that shouldn't have happened. And uh, we're not going to get into that today. But that's one of those other moments where you think, it was God behaving badly. And I know there can be some times where we can look at passages of Scripture and think, that all is not what it seems like it should be. People, um, you know, where people are asked to wipe out entire people groups, we're tempted to dismiss the Bible because we, because we don't get it. And uh, we just want to quickly turn the page. But it's those stories in the Old Testament that have often caused people, serious thinkers as well, to decide, I'm out. And to completely peace out from any relationship with God that they might otherwise have. So over these past few, week, few weeks, we've been looking at these thoughts. Is God legalistic or gracious? Um, is God angry or is, he, or is God loving? Is he sexist or empowering? If you missed that last week, is God sexist or empowering? I want to encourage you to go back and look at the, the YouTube video on that or the, grab the podcast because there were some people that told me after the service that they were set free uh, by, the message last, by the message last time. They brought great freedom um, to lives perhaps that had kind of grown up with a completely different view. This week, I just want to sort of touch on this thought a little bit. Is God violent or is God peaceful? Is God violent? Is that his nature that we see in the Old Testament? Or is God peaceful? And I've been, we've been using the word Yahweh as a way to describe God. Because in the Old Testament, uh, a thousand or so years before Jesus was born, God asked people to call him by that name. Because it's a personal name. They wanted him to be called by his personal name, as if God's saying, hey, call me by my first name, Yahweh. And uh, the, the, uh, the, 
the understanding here is that this, this word, Y-A-H-W-E-H, was actually just the aspirated consonants the, without the vowels. They took the vowels out. They took the A and the E out because they wanted, uh, b- because the, the, the letters, the consonants themselves, sounded like in the original uh, Hebrew language, ancient Hebrew language, sounded like the words Yahweh, as if almost it's the sound of our breathing. And I, we don't know for sure that that's the case, but most scholars think that the, the word Yahweh essentially comes out of this sound that sounds like our breathing. So it didn't even have the, the vowels in it. It just had those, those four consonants. It seems like um, there's others that have been picking this up along the way, right? So this is my coffee cup this morning. Like, they changed their branding recently, and all of a sudden, like, it's not Duncan anymore. It's D-N-K-N. You know, they're doing the same thing. Finally, someone's caught up with God's marketing ideas from, like, 2,000 years ago, right? But it took a while, but they got there, you know? Um, and so, but we want to ask that question today. Is Yahweh violent or peaceful? And we're going to look about uh, this group of people called the Canaanites. And now God's people, the Israelites, uh, were, had been in slavery for hundreds of years, enslaved, worked to death, beaten to death, oppressed um, under Egyptian rule. And people cry out, and God sends Moses uh, to free his people, completely freed to live in what was known as the promised land. Like you've heard this phrase just in culture, but that came from the Bible. God spoke about the promised land. It's the, the, the uh, Egyptians, the, the people, the slaves living in Egypt, moving over to what is now Israel, the, the land promised to them. And there's only one problem with this land, and that is it's inhabited by this group of people called the Canaanites. The Canaanites were doing um, abhorrent things to people, infant sacrifices, uh, just terrible practices that were, that were so far from God's plan. And so you see in Deuteronomy chapter 20, this, uh, these verses that uh, describe the fact that God's calling his Israelite people to waste this nation. Deuteronomy 20. However, in the cities of the nations, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Do not leave anything alive that breathes. That's a pretty serious uh, wasting of a, of a nation, isn't it? Completely destroy them. The Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, Termites, Amorite, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. It's a disturbing passage of Scripture. And that's in the book of Deuteronomy, in the last book of, the, of the, 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 the Torah. And as you read on into Joshua, Joshua is now the commander of Israel. He takes over from Moses. And as you read on Joshua 11, verses 11 to 12, it says, Everyone in it they put to the sword. They totally destroyed them, not sparing anyone that breathed. And he burned Hazor itself. That's the city. Joshua took all these royal cities and their kings and put them to the sword. He totally destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. It is a disturbing passage of Scripture. It echoes of sort of Nazi Germany, doesn't it, and the, the annihilation that was taking place. And if you think, if you think that, you know, you're probably not alone, and you, you've got to know that people have turned away from God because of reading specific passages like that. It makes you wonder, does God, does God have a violent side? 
Now, the book I've been using over these past few weeks is a good called God Behaving Badly by a, an author by the name of David T. Lamb. And if you're into, uh, you know, some reading on that kind of stuff, it's, it's really well worth a read, uh, God Behaving Badly by, by David Lamb. And uh, there's some, some thoughts that he has and that, that I want to bring to us today that I think will just help put some of this uh, series that we've done in perspective and kind of like hopefully kind of wrap this up as we finish this up today. The first thing is that, you know, what you read here about uh, the, the message of a nation being put to the sword is not normally even, even normal for Scripture. The emphasis on the Old Testament is on Israel uh, moving into the promised land, moving into what God had planned for them. And this p- particular passage isn't characteristic of, of Yahweh's normal style. Like his MO is normally to drive out the enemies, for the enemies to be driven out for the enemies to be just sent out, even for the, for the Israelites sometimes themselves to be the ones, they are the ones to be doing the driving out. And we can't emphasize those passages of divine war without also emphasizing the multiple examples of God driving out, uh, not annihilating other nations. So in Exodus 23, he said, I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive out the Hivites, Canaanites, and Hittites. Leviticus 18 says, do not defile yourself in any of these ways, because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. In Numbers, he, he even seems like he wants this, his people to do, the, to do the driving out. Speak to the Israelites and say, when you cross the Jordan, drive out the inhabitants of the land. Not put them to death, but drive them out, remove them. Destroy their carved images, as in destroy their gods, destroy their, their, their idols, because God's name is the thing that is to be lifted up to the highest place. God's name, his holy name and his ways are the things that he wants to protect in that setting. And secondly, you know, this thing, this conversation, and you'll see this throughout the Old Testament, could be described as somewhat of biblical trash talk. Most scholars agree that some of what you read in the Old Testament in terms of nations being annihilated is perhaps a step or two closer to, um, you know, Steve, you're wearing your Bruins jersey today. You know, one team shouting to another team, we're going to murder you. That there is an element of that, that it's like standard battle rhetoric being mentioned in here. You know, we have to study God's Word correctly because do you know that we are as close to the year 5000 in future history as we are away from the time when the Old Testament, this part of the Old Testament was written? It was written 3,000 years ago. So understanding the context and the, the, the literary genre that we're reading is so important. Um, it, it, scholars tend to agree that the language of killing every living thing, both in both biblical literature and outside writings of, biblical, of, of, of the Bible at the same time, is kind of a, um, uh, a description of a sweeping military victory rather than killing every person, every child, every baby, as if it's standard battle rhetoric. And what's interesting is you carry on reading through some of those passages of Scripture, even through uh, the book of Joshua, it seems that there's like still 
there are still Canaanites in the land. There are still large areas of land which still have yet to be conquered. And God challenges them and says, hey, go, go conquer that part of the land that you haven't done yet. Go get that territory because you haven't cleared the land yet. So even when we think that they come back and say, well, we've cleared every Canaanite and every piece of land and every enemy, there's still more of it to be done. Translation, not everything might have been conquered in the way that we thought. However, when you read a passage of Scripture like this, it appears that most of the battle, uh, battleground passages in the, scripture, in the Old Testament like that are restricted to military centers rather than sweeping um, annihilation of nations. For instance, if, um, if you woke up this morning and you know, we live in like a 24-hour news cycle, don't we now? News coming at us all the time. If you woke up this morning and you got your breakfast and turned on the TV and there was news of, uh, of the United States bombing a terrorist camp um, in some other nation, you just probably kind of carry on with your, your cereal, right? Because that's not to- completely unusual. If you turned on the news and you heard about the, the, the United States bombing an orphanage, like our response would be completely different, wouldn't it? Our response would be different. And even in, in, a, in a case of like the Battle of Jericho, remember Jericho and what did the Israelites do? They walked around the city um, uh, six times for each day of the week and then on the seventh day they walked around the city seven times and the walls of the city came down and the people were destroyed. We think in, the, in terms of city when we hear that and uh, we, we think immediately how we would think of a city world. Is that, is that the city of Boston or something like that? Is it, is it hundreds of thousands of people? What you're dealing with when you read about the, uh, the, the city of Jericho being leveled, we're actually talking about a span of land that's about five or six acres with potentially about 200 military men inside it. And so perhaps the idea of, of like, oh, we're going to destroy a city and we're God's people and this is all good. Um, is very different to when you actually look at what, what is in here. Another thing is that what we read in here is that this is a, sp- a specific time for a specific purpose. And even this, is a, this drastic picture portrays an image of a patient God who is, what's that passage we read? Slow to anger. That God is slow to anger and abounding, abounding in love. You know, the Bible says that God had been waiting 400 years for the, for the sin of the Canaanites to develop to its full extent before he said, enough. He'd been waiting for hundreds of years before telling the Israelites to invade Canaan, waiting for their sin to reach its full measure. And so God's desire is for everyone to repent. God's desire And his longing is always for everyone to have an opportunity to come before him and turn, change their ways. Even in the situation of of Jericho, there's uh, the woman Rahab, the prostitute Rahab, who was willing to uh, hide the spies, is is mentioned of later in Hebrews chapter 11 as a person who who was willing to repent and God allowed her to escape that situation because of her choice to repent. So I want, you to, I want to ask you this question. You're probably asking it already. Is there any way that this warfare of 3,000 years ago has any relevance to my life today in 2020? Is there any way that this could, could even make sense or have a, a, a part to play in my life? And I honestly think there is because the, the Old Testament, the first three quarters of the Bible, 
describes God's relationship with the nation of Israel, with his chosen people. Now, let me read something from from early on in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 22, God spoke to Abraham, one of our earliest forefathers in Israel, and he said this to Abraham. He said, I will surely bless you, and I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So that was one of God's promises to Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. So imagine this. God's speaking this to Abraham, and he's saying, Abraham, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Now, for Abraham, he might have thought sand on the seashore, that's like an unmeasurable uh, number of pieces of sand, right? Do you know, but until about four or five hundred years ago, uh, or a few hundred years ago, anyone would have thought that there were about 600 stars in the sky. So imagine that just now we understand that what God was saying is that there was going to be a, an unmeasurable uh, but physical uh, number of descendants, the sand on the seashore. But there's also going to be this heavenly or spiritual count as well that we know, as far as we can understand, goes on even further than the amount of grains of sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky, that God was promising to Abraham that you are going to have spiritual descendants. You are going to have a, there's going to be a physical Israel, and there's going to be a spiritual Israel as well. Like, I don't, Abraham couldn't even get his head around that. But we know that today, that God has a, a spiritual Israel as well as a physical Israel. You know, in the, in the New Testament, Paul teaches to the church, and he says, you know who the true Israel is? The church. You know who the true Jew is? It's us. That's not ethnically Jewish, but spiritually God's chosen people. So when we read the Old Testament, not only is it, is it, is it reading out for us the history of a people group, and you're like, I don't get what's going on here. The Old Testament is always pointing forward to Jesus. It's like what you read in the Old Testament scriptures is a prototype, like, a, like a, an early version of what God is about to do in the future. It's prophetically speaking forward. So we, when we read about um, the people of God destroying their, the, God's enemies, it's a message for us that God wants us to be set free and he wants us to drive out sin in our lives. He wants, sometimes he wants us to do it. And sometimes he's saying to us, no, I will do it. This is too much for you. I am going to set you free in this area. I'm going to free you from this thing that seems like an army. I mean, let's get real. Some of us have situations in our lives that don't feel any different to having an army coming against us, right? And, and I, I believe God wants you to know today that he is fighting our battles for us. And we can put our trust in him. And even as I read those scriptures that God wants to drive out, God wants to set us free from some of those things that seem like enemies or seem like armies. It's not, this whole idea isn't to prove the point that God's not really behaving badly, that he, he's actually being really nice. You just kind of got to understand some history. No, no, God wants us to know that this whole thing was written so that we could understand four things. The, the justice of God, the holiness of God, the faithfulness of God, and the love of God. And 
He is, there is not a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. There is not one God who's, who's kind of mean and nasty and one God who's loving and peaceful and merciful. There is one God. And, and I hope you didn't misunderstand when I've said a number of times the God of the Old Testament. I mean the God that we read about in the Old Testament because we have one God who is both just and holy and faithful and loving. And he is all those things today and always has been. Somebody say amen. Somebody like, can you kind of like, give me a bit of love here or something? But uh, uh, Genesis, Genesis 12, we'll wrap this up. Uh, Genesis 12, uh, God said to Abraham in another time, he said, the Lord has said to, says, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country. This is like the very beginning where God's sending Abraham out to, to start this new nation. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. He's like, he's not even telling him where it is. He's like, go to this, pack your stuff. Go to a land, I'll show you when, when you get there, where you are. Like, you know, this guy was pretty spontaneous. Do you know what I mean? He was okay, you know, following God to where he was going to tell him to go. He said, uh, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth, say all peoples, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Wow. All peoples on earth, the, the, the globe is going to get impacted. It's going to, be, it's going to have a blessing as a result of the nation that God was leading Abraham to lead. Now, think about this. Have you ever, thought, have you ever heard about a nation now say, getting together? Maybe the government gets together and they say, well, what's our, what's our you know, mandate? And, of course, with all the political stuff that's going on right now and the fight for the presidency coming up, you hear, do you, have you ever heard all these any, any of these um, uh, like democratic contenders for the presidency right now going, well, my main thing is that, well, I would like a country. I'd just like us to bless other countries. That's why I'm here. We'd just like us to be really nice and re- to lead other countries. And people are like, no, 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 like what's in it for me? You know, like we, we're not thinking about how we can bless the world. We're thinking about what's in it for me, right? And that's what people say. But God's first and foremost call to Abraham about this nation he's going to lead is that it's going to bless the rest of the world. That was even more so never a way then because the, the, the answer was normally we're going to conquer the rest of the world. We're going to take the rest of the world out. We're going to kill them. We're going to level them. No, God's intent was for the rest of the world to be blessed through his people. I mean, even if you look at recent history, think of like, I know, British Empire, all that kind of stuff. They, you know, the, the, the Brits just wanted to conquer the world. They just like, they, there was a time where they said the sun never sets on the British Empire because we're, we're basically moving this thing around the world. And then, you know, it eventually came here. And then there was this thing called a manifest destiny, which basically just meant that like, you know, it's God's plan for us to conquer, right? No, back here, God's original intent. This was God's original mission statement, uh, great commission mandate for the people of Israel, for the church, for us today to be a light to the nations. Despite every battle that you see in the Old Testament, and despite every battle that you face, despite every seeming contradiction and everything that's tough for us today, the overarching story of God is that his people would bless the world that his people would be a light to the nations. You know, over these next few weeks, just as a quick sort of next week promo thing, we're finishing this up today, but over these next few weeks, we're going to start a series we're calling God of the Breakthrough. 
And uh, we're going to do this for five weeks as we lead up to Easter. And our thought behind God of the Breakthrough is that God never wants to keep us in a similar status quo situation than we're in now. He always wants to see us as a community break into new territory through prayer, through certain regions, through people, through church planting, through his presence in, in, a, in a miraculous way in our lives. And over these next five weeks, we're going to talk about the God who breaks through, all right? How many of you believe in that God, right? We trust that God is somebody who is able to do it or don't do it, but serious. Come on, like, no, that was, let's just, let's just move on. That was, let's never let that happen again. But, but, you know, let, let's believe in a God who breaks through. And we're going to do something a little bit different over these next five weeks. Um, starting, well, it'll be starting next Sunday, God of the Breakthrough. Starting the Thursday after that, we're going to host an online, online group on Thursday evenings. 8, 8 p.m. to 9 p.m., Thursday evenings for five weeks. And uh, I know there's people, there's so many people um, who live far away from here and wouldn't be able to participate in a group in real life. And, you know, we have a couple of groups like Alpha and these women's things going on at the moment. And it's hard for you to be, you know, uh, be part of it. So we're going to host an online group. Um, uh, Justin, you live in Saugus, right? Like Justin's driving in from Saugus. Priscilla's, where's Priscilla? She's normally here. She lives in Worcester. She's joining us every, almost every Sunday from Worcester. And we've got people coming from all over the place at Anthem. And we want to be able to create an online group experience um, I don't know if it'll be five people or 30, but we're going to do it on Zoom. If you haven't downloaded Zoom to your computer, go to your computer one day next week and download zoom.us, okay? And we're going to do this online group. Um, I've, I've been wanting to call it Church Without Pants because it's online, but they wouldn't let me do that. So because you can sit at your computer in your PJs or however you'd like to, and we're going to uh, uh, have this online Zoom group, all right? And there's information about your program about that, and you need to register. You need to register for that to be a part of that. You can't just walk in the online group or anything like that. You've got you to gotta plan. I want to I remind you that God wants to drive out our enemies. Sometimes he wants us to do it and be a part of it. Band, why don't you come up and get ready? Sometimes he wants us to be a part of it. And sometimes we just have to say, God, I want you to drive out my enemies because I don't have the strength for this one. I need to put my faith and my confidence in you. He wants to fight our battles. He's a God who is for us, and he's never changed. He's always the same. He was never one mean God and now a God who's happy and and just full of love. He's always faithful. He's always just. He's always holy. He's always faithful, and he's always loving, and we can trust him. Yahweh is always good. Do we believe that, that Yahweh is always good? He never behaves badly. And he is a God that you and I, whether we've done it every day from the beginning of our childhood, as long as we can remember, or whether you're like, I've been doing this two weeks and I really don't know what, what, what I'm getting myself into, or whether you're coming back to God, finding your way back to God, he is somebody that we can run to. We can run to and, and, and have our arms open wide like this and ask our God just to take us and to take us in his arms. And so we're going, to, we're going to end our day-to-day with a, a statement of us just being willing to run into the arms of the Father. Let's stand together as we, uh, as we close in worship this morning. Lord Jesus, we believe that you, uh, you are for us, that you want to use us to be a light and a positive influence in the world that you have put us in in the same way that you called your people 
thousands of years ago to be a light to the nations, to be a blessing to everybody around us. And so today I pray that you'll help us to understand more of what it is for you to fight our battles and for, for us to experience victory in you. In Jesus' name we pray.